Football is a game of sport. You wear a pant, you wear a short. You can call it by any name. Can't win a football game. That's a poem by Rob Forehand. <laughs> Let's check it out. Check it out! And then we had last episode, maybe this is where we start, we apologize to all of our listeners for episode 38, which will be relegated into the dustbins of history. Never, never shall Tertia Radio listeners ever know what was discussed. Did we, did we name drop you, dear listener, by your first and last name? The answer is yes, we did. We talked about you extensively. The lost episode. The, the, the lost episode of Tertia Radio, the two people who helped me discuss you and your personal life and all your details and secrets. Joey O, LA Rams, Rams, Rams. What's up, man? Hey, jerks. It's going down. Hey, jerky. And Robbo, at Seattle Rams underscore NFL, our favorite curmudgeon. What's up, sir? Uh, I am enjoying a nice frosty beverage Ooh. after a day of football and sports. It is a uh, it is a local IPA that uh, I actually went to Total Wine this weekend with my wife. She was had like a little gathering with some friends and she wanted some wine. And so while she did that, I, I walked over to the beer section and saw them uh, demoing some beer and had a you know some tastes. And I found one I liked and picked it up, and it's not so bad. And I by a company called Ten Barrel Brewing. I'm Ooh. not even sure who they are, but uh, it was tasty, and I'm enjoying it right now. Fancy, Joey. Did you partake in any? Uh imbibing of any alcoholic beverages this weekend well you know to, to watch the game i was able to get a little hall pass get out of the house go to a bar nice. and i went to oh, very nice yeah with the a local sports bar and i got there at like 12 30 and died i hadn't you know since the baby's born haven't really hung out at a lot of bars and just sat there kind of you know could order a bunch of different drinks i decided to start with a bloody mary because it was wow. still well done of, earliest in the day so that's that's how we started things and then we moved on eventually i was drinking beer but um right now i am drinking a modello especially so you're to brain you were the one who broke rank stopped your normal routine you never messed up with a streak man i haven't shaved since they since the first uh first game and now i get to shave tomorrow because my beard is itchy <laughs> i uh <laughs> I have been wearing the same Rams blue hoodie sweatshirt for every game, and I put it on today again, and now I get to stop wearing that as well. I was literally worried that you were going to say, I've been wearing this every day since week one. I was like, Rob, that's No, no, no. I I do a a a superstitious fool. Cooper Cup's not going to want to be your friend if you keep wearing your sweatshirt every day. You got to change it up. You smell like 10 barrels. Cooper Cup. Wants to be my friend. He wants. To, I'm going for Thanksgiving dinner. His his family invited me. We talked about this a couple episodes ago. I'm I'm going. I'm I'm bringing the the green bean casserole with the little fried onion, yeah. uh, French onion kind of thing on top. I'm cream of mushroom. I'm going. I, it's, it's I'm locked in. 
You get to shave, misery, fall, green bean casserole. It's the best time of year. This is by far my favorite time of year. I get up and I enjoy the crisp mornings. Like here we get, we have true fall. So you get up. It's you have actual crisp mornings. Yeah. It's nice. It's, it's nice. Except for when it's rainy and then it sucks. But today was a crisp morning kind of day. So it was nice. It's still hot over here. I bet it is. Where did, where did you go for your Bloody Mary? Which establishment? It's called... Keys, keys, keys on that line? <laughs> come, on, hey, come on in. Have a donut and a Bloody Mary. Yeah. <laughs> it was the Oaks Tavern. It was, it was good. Everybody was really into it. And that's where one of the guys, a really drunk guy, underneath, underneath his breath, he kept saying, Come on, King Goffrey. <laughs> where'd, where'd you come up with that? Like, Did someone tell you that? Have you heard that before? He's like, I don't know, man. I mean... You got to watch Game of Thrones. Get it. And I was like, you're amazing. <laughs> and I'm going to call him King Goffrey all the time oh, no. now. Oh, I love it. There are so many memes being created right now. I can relate to this so much because the, the, there's a place right next door to where I work. It's uh, a little dive crappy bar. We've been yeah. in the same office for moved there in 2010. They're great. And uh, I work just on the outskirts of where Amazon is kind of centered in Seattle. And so uh, there's this little tiny place. It was called the Pizza Mart. It was basically a tiny little shit bar. Dive bar has room for about, you know, 15 occupants. And they serve pizza at lunch to people who come in. But for the most part, you just go there and have beer after work. And and you get to know the servers. And it's it's great. And then Amazon has come in. And they've been built up and new and rents have raised, whatever. And they moved to a new location, really big and bright and just like very Seattle new hipster bar. Where all the Amazon employees can hang out. And it's no longer the little crappy dive bar. Now it's like... A big, bright, beautiful palace still called the Pizza Mart, and it's not the same. But they still know my name. I just don't want to go there anymore. You know when you want big and bright and beautiful? When you're young and bright and beautiful. Once, once you hit, I don't know what age it is, but big and, big and bright and beautiful, all, it's just big. That's all that's left. The bright and beautiful has died. Much like the hope of our big, bright, beautiful season. The Rams, they did it, boys. We finally lost a game. Rams 35, Saints 45. Lose in New Orleans in a fantastic game. Really entertaining game. But the monkey is off the back. The Rams are now 8-1. and one. General thoughts on the game. Robbo, you were sitting there. You were excited. You were enthralled. Cooper Cup was back. And then we screwed the pooch. <laughs> you know... I was excited and I was enthralled and we did screw the pooch and I, uh, yeah, it just, it kind of felt, I mean, I saw a lot of social interaction today where people were just in panicsville from the start. You know, they drove right down on us and, oh, no, no, and then they drove down on us again and, and just, we just, then they got down by what, 21 at one point yep. and sometimes social media was falling in on itself. They weren't enjoying it. As- they needed to go down to their local pub, the, the Screwed Pooch. That'd make a great name for a dive bar. Go on down to the Screwed Pooch and get you a beer. That's the Rams version of the Regal Beagle. Yep. I'll throw it to you. Three's company. Uh, but it just, yeah, it just felt like, oh, my God. Uh, every fan was just not happy and upset. And that's cool. You should not be pleased with it. At that point, you had won eight in a row. It wasn't like it was going to cost you a whole lot. I mean, there's still plenty of season to go. It was an entertaining game. And then, you know, true to form, they uh, they came back. We tied it. 
became even more entertaining. It was it was a fun football game to watch that, you know, unfortunately we came up in the short end of it. It wasn't like hmm. early on when it was that 21-point thing we were down, I was kind of like, all right, this is feeling a lot like the Vikings game last year. And then they did something today, which they didn't do last time, and they came back and they made it a game. And, you know, it just shows the growth of this team. Sure, they lost and that sucks. But to go down 21 against a one loss team at home and come back and, you know, knock, knock the score, needing a two-point conversion to do it, I thought they showed some chops today. And so I'm generally pleased in some of those aspects. Do I want to win? Yes. But uh, this was a fun, entertaining game, and I'm, I'm not super upset about it. Yeah, what was funny was there was a lot of people who – I remember back in 2016, but even before 2015, 2014, 13, that would f- would find ways to still, you know, down 21 and and find ways to say, hey, let's let's not get too upset. We're still in this, and even if we lose, the season's not lost. We'll be three and six. But hey, we got we got you know Steve Smith and Jolon Dunbar. We're going to be able to turn this around. We can still turn this game around. And then today, with an eight and O team, as good as we are. We're just throwing, hey, I guess this is it. This is the end of this run. Might as well pack the bags for this, these losers. Cut them all, bastards. Move They're on. done. Yeah. Cut them. What'd you think about the jerks today, Joey? Well, I thought it was a completely different team in the second half. I thought, yeah. I thought they, they essentially it felt like they lost the game in the first half. I mean, they, they did tie it, but it just felt like. They kind of proved to the to the Saints that hey man, like you could score on us whenever you want. And then there was a good portion of the second half where got stopped for a while, but then it came back and it just it just it felt like the defense was hanging by a thread. Even at the end, they kind of felt gassed. Like when uh, when New Orleans was, you know, they still scored ten points in the fourth quarter. Yep, and it felt like yeah, man. It just it just was uh it was it was disheartening to kind of see that and uh, I don't know man I uh, I was I was a little bit not um not bummed out but um just kind of you know disappointed to see like the Saints just run over them like that you know but uh, I don't I don't think it's about play calling too much I know people don't think that Gurley ran the ball or anything like that I just felt like we just just didn't have it I think. You know, just the the way that the chemistry of the game kind of went. The Saints, Saints just felt like they were going to win the whole time. You know, I don't know. It just kind of felt like this was our loss. Yeah, what was interesting was I think you had a combination of all these people that were kind of picking it to be the Rams' first loss. And the way that the defense played, the first one, two, third drive was the fumble, fourth, fifth, sixth. So six, five of the first six drives for the Saints were all touchdowns. The only one in which we prevented the touchdown was that fumble that Samson and Bukum caused. Uh, and so it, it definitely felt to a degree like uh, the Saints were scoring at will. And what was strange was not just the idea that obviously the defense hasn't been that bad all season. They've had issues, but they haven't been that bad. They've been a top half of the NFL defense. Was that after the second half, maybe unsurprisingly, after Wade Phillips, defensive coordinator, came in and made some adjustments to to strengthen the defense, they look like themselves to a degree again. And I think the question was, why, why didn't they make some of those adjustments in the first half? Why why were they so slow to be able to 
to, to make some changes that could get to the kind of defensive stops that they got in the second half. I don't know. I'll have to go back and watch it because I'm not sure what they did technically, and I don't know if there was any specific personnel switches that changed. But overall, it was one of those things where they came out and forced two punts to start the second half, and it was kind of like, okay, well, what the hell y'all been waiting for? It, they were getting they were getting picked apart early with that with that with that you know two deep zone uh, like the cover two thing and uh, then they they switched him a little more man um, and they they started making some plays. Hmm. What was what was strange was it was just kind of a three man show. I mean the offensive line played well, but it was just Breeze Kamara and Michael Thomas. No nobody else was doing anything in the passing game. Nobody was doing. Mark Ingram had nine rushes for thirty three yards. Taysom Hill outside of that early fourth down conversion. He didn't do anything. It, it was really just yeah, those nothing. guys. It was just Drew Brees making plays, Michael Thomas carving any and everybody up, and yes, we'll get to Marcus Peters, and then Alvin Kamara doing things on the ground. But it, it wasn't a comprehensive game. It was just they had a quarterback, they had a running back, they had a wide receiver, and the offensive line and play calling was on point in that first half. I would say Benjamin Watson's play actually opened a lot of that stuff up as well. He, he had they hit him. They hit him a couple of times. Hit him for a, a touchdown, like a thirty-yard TD. Yep. But they had they went to him a couple of times early on to kind of you know test that that because you know it's not a secret the Rams have struggled against tight ends this year. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean for the most part, it's it was it was three dudes who just said you know we're gonna we're gonna go toe to toe with you guys and they they kind of did. did. Yeah. Uh, there's that, that one guy, uh, he wears nine with the flute of the on his helmet. He, he's he's kind of good. Never heard of him. Joey, what do you think? Breeze, Thomas, Kamara. Uh, well, you know, they got they got a first down whenever they wanted. I mean, they got 31 first downs. It just kind of felt like whenever we felt like, okay, we can stop them. There'd be like third and long or something. And then it just, it, it was pretty, pretty disheartening. The fact that the Saints got so many first downs. They got 31 first downs to 23 for us. And it just felt like whenever they needed to do it, they just got a first down. And it sounded like they were going to Michael Thomas. felt like all the time. It felt like if, if you just asked me if I didn't look at the stat sheet, and I was like, how many receptions did Michael Thomas get? A lot. I was like, I don't know, 25? <laughs> right. It just felt like he got the ball. But he got 12. 12 receptions for two 111 yards is insane. And uh, granted, they weren't going to anybody else. I mean, it was, you know, Watson had three receptions. Kamara had four. So, you know, he was was definitely that they knew they were going to him. And we still were just letting it happen. And uh, I, I, I think it was first downs to me. It was just they always were able to get it whenever they wanted, except for one quarter. And part of that obviously has to be uh, cornerback Marcus Peters, probably going to be a focal point of uh, reactionary coverage tomorrow. This is obviously Sunday night that we're recording this throughout the week. I think uh, Marcus Peters could be the focal point of how people frame this because it's not just that he had a bad game. It's that they were picking. I mean, they were going at him and exploiting the fact that he uh, was having a bad game, couldn't stick with Mike Thomas, and that gave them a specific advantage that they could continue to go to, and they did. Uh, Sean Payton, after the game, actually listened to his comments just to see if he was going to be you know, a jerk or not, and surprisingly, he wasn't. Uh, they were asked about Michael – he was asked about Michael Thomas, and he said, you know, going to the game, um, we were we were hoping that – or we were we were okay with them putting Marcus on him and, and following him around the field. We, we really liked that matchup. And uh, so that was someone they, they – it sounded like they targeted going into the game, and it, it worked out well in their favor. 
Do you think that Marcus Peters being a sort of ball hawk guy going for the interception, do you think they kind of keyed in on that? Because it felt like, you know, there were some plays where he was making that leap kind of for the catch rather than just to stay close to Michael Thomas. And I was just thinking, is that just a bad matchup? Because they got a guy that's just with the size of my of Michael Thomas that he can just kind of grab the ball. And if Peters doesn't get the interception, then, you know, he's 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 beat rather than just trying to stay on him. It just felt like, you know, a guy like Akib Tlaib is a little bit more of a cover guy rather than trying to get that splash play. And that's what we knew going in with Marcus Peters, that he was a guy that's going to get beat because he's a ball hawk and he's going to try to get that interception. And it felt like today was the terrible side of that flaw. Do you know who led the Rams in passes defensed today? Nikhil Roby Coleman? Troy Hill. That would be Marcus Peters with two. He had two. Joyner had one. Donald had one. And Fowler had one. So uh, as far as, you know, DBs go, he he did have two, actually, Passive defense, which is a pretty good stat for a, a cover. I, th- I think what's interesting is that they av- they avoided Troy Hill, fan favorite Troy Hill, being the scapegoat in this game. And they avoided the linebackers maybe being the scapegoat in this game. And it's one of those things that kind of feels like, you know, musical chairs where the, the, the game plan for the Rams has to isolate how they want to figure out who's going to take on the responsibility. Is it going to be the linebackers trying to take down tight ends? And in, in this game, obviously, with a, uh, the lack of a really talented tight end, I thought they did a good job limiting what they could do. Uh, obviously, we talked about Ben Watson had that one big play, but overall, compared to some other guys who they frequently target, Ben Watson didn't have a ton of targets. And if anything, that one touchdown, I think, was on more on the play call and less on like Ben Watson's uh, individual talent. Um, you've had other games where Troy Hill was the guy or where they played it outside. And this game, it wasn't an outside-inside specificity. It wasn't other players. It wasn't other positions. It was just Michael Thomas. And the Rams tried to stick him with Marcus Peters, and it just doesn't work. And I just wonder, you know, they clearly knew that there were limitations to what this defense could do. Wade Phillips obviously knows his defense. But I think the question becomes, how do you account for that? And, And should they have brought in extra help, whether it was safeties or linebackers or other guys around him. Because if you do that, then it opens up the rest of the field. And maybe this was just one that they were willing to take and try to ask Marcus Peters to figure it out on his own, and he just couldn't do it. Rather than let Alvin Kamara just and, and Mark Ringram run all over him, they, yeah. they kind of took that away, and they said, all right, well, let's let Marcus see if he can figure this out. And like you said, he didn't. Um, but if we see these guys again down the road, they're going to have another guy out there who I think – drastically changes what they do because at that point you're not going to have Marcus Peters shadowing that guy. You're going to have probably, you know, Akib Tlaib over there, or at least, you know, on half of the field shutting and locking things down. I just, I, I wonder how much different this would be if you had Tlaib out there. Yeah. I think this could be, I think we mentioned it last week, whereas I thought, you know, the, the Rams offense, you know, looks like they missed Cooper Cup a little bit. I think this was the game where it really, it just illustrated how much they were kind of missing Akib Tlaib. Yeah. And uh, and what he brings to the table. So, got a couple more weeks to go without him. I think we're we're looking after Thanksgiving. Hopefully, he'll be he'll be right and coming back in December for a stretch run and for the playoffs. So that's the good news. We we'll just have to get through these next few weeks. What do you guys think about Dante Fowler in his first game as a Ram? Well, I I think the beginning was a little bit choppy. It felt like he definitely came off like the new guy, right? 
He was getting washed out early on. He was getting dealt with pretty easily. He got erased on that first touchdown by a tight end. Absolutely just vanished. But, you know, that wasn't really on him because there were three Rams in position to to make the stop on that play, and they did not. But yeah, he was – he showed up, though, right? He showed up – I think I said something earlier or later in the game where he started kind of, you know, getting to it. I think you, know, you and I kind of went back and forth about pressure. He had a pressure that forced a, a quick throw. On a third he a, down? He had a tackle for – yeah, and he had a tackle for loss, and so mm-hmm. I made the joke that he uh, in in three quarters of football he he made more of an impact for the Rams than all of uh, Matt Longacre's right. season so far. So, you know, if you get, I, I think we and we talked about it on the on the lost episode, the the lost episode the lost of last week that nobody heard. Episode. Uh, we talked about his, what we expect from him, and I, and I think we can just say that you know we we come in and be a, a guy who could provide a little bit. He's not going to be a superstar. He's not going to you know lead the team or anything, but. If you can come in and just give them a little spark and give them a little bit more than what they've currently got, then that's that's a net positive. And so I think we're we're looking at maybe some more of that. You know, come in and you know, get a tackle for loss and get some pressures. Maybe not you know Aaron Donald style, but just enough to just kind of you know, hey, I'm, we're not completely devoid of talent over here. Now we're just somewhat devoid of talent. Yeah, and maybe, maybe it was a bit of a microcosm for the defense where just like the rest of the Rams' defense in the first half just wasn't able to get much started and then in the second half tried to settle in and made some plays. The only guy who really made a big big play on defense the entire first half was Samson Nebuchadnezzar. Right? The fumble, yeah. Put hat on the ball, you know, fumble, and then we just didn't do much with it. But other than that, no, nobody really made a mark. You know, the uh, the thing that we're like, I think bothered me about this game, and it wasn't so much uh, – while they were playing, it was the personal fouls. Two back to backs. It was just like from two year veterans. They were, guys they were clearly frustrated between Aaron yes. Donald and Roger Saffold. They were getting heated. I mean, they got the guys got under their skin, and for the first time this season, the Rams had some adversity. They literally had to deal with mid game. Yep, uh, they, yeah. they cleaned it up and they got it fixed. Thank you, Jeff Fisher. But that was really the only part. I was like, all right, this this is where it's looking like the wheels could come off. They, they corrected it and it didn't. And so I was pleased in that aspect that, you know, they, they fixed it and they really played a, a pretty darn good second half. Yeah. You can say what you want about the last series of play calls there. Um, but for the most part, they, they played pretty well. The good thing is for, for all the faults that we had early on in the game, kind of like the Minnesota game last year, where we went into Minnesota and it was tied at seven after three quarters. And that was a team that ended up going to the NFC Championship. We'll have to see what happens with the Rams and the Saints this year. But this is a game that was tied with nine minutes and 48 seconds to go with the Rams on the road, 35 to 35. I still think there are a lot of positives to take away from this game. I I don't know which one stands out more, but it's probably easier to start there. Jared Goff had a damn good game. I know he had that one interception that I'm not sure how Alex Anzalone held on to that ball, but that was a really nice interception in a in a tight window that Goff probably shouldn't have thrown it, but he was trying to make a play happen late in the half when the defense was struggling and the offense clearly had to step up to support the defense. Other than that, though, he he was pushing balls into tight windows. He made a hell of a lot of plays, and, and maybe the plays that he made the most that was maybe the most impressive were the plays he made with his feet when he was stepping up through the pocket and then just kind of making plays outside of the designed first read. I think that there, there was a maturity to him that we didn't see the first two years. We've seen it a couple games this year where you say, okay, e- even in adverse situations with the defensive line and when the pocket's collapsing, he's finding ways to work through that and go to some other guys to create a secondary play that maybe wasn't the designed first look. And it seemed like the pocket wasn't collapsing as much as maybe it has 
and, and weeks past, it, it didn't feel like he was on his back at all. Sure. I mean, he threw the ball and got knocked down a couple of times, but he didn't get sacked. And it felt like what you were talking about with him taking chances and threading the deal and, yeah, backfired with an interception. But if you look at it another way, it extends to what I thought McVay was doing in the coaching staff where they just were aggressive. Yeah. And it didn't work. It didn't work out at times. And you had the going for it on fourth down didn't work out. But it didn't. Are we sure? Are we sure that it didn't? Are we sure that it didn't? I th- <laughs> I think it did. <laughs> Guys, the reason why is because there's not a parade tomorrow for Coach McVay. But if he w- that would have worked out, we would be like Coach of the Year two <laughs> years straight. Like you can't go. You know, an A is for everybody on the team. So I don't know. I I'm 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 cool with. With, with that aggressiveness, and yes, it it sucks right now because it didn't work out. But I kind of feel like if you keep playing like that, you're putting the team with the opportunity to win. And I felt like what Golf was doing was he was playing like like McVeigh's sort of aggressiveness is rubbing off on him. And I feel like having that coach has just been really great for his career. And it's also I I think nice that there's a calmness to him that he's not you know a panicky quarterback and or not too excitable so i think he's just gonna like you know just like think thinking about his favorite line from malibu most wanted <laughs> as he's kind of going taking his drop oh i just realized we lost <laughs> we lost episode we lost. all our malibu's most wanted stuff by the way dear viewers um we were talking about in the last episode that jared goff for halloween went as a character from malibu's most wanted from the booth. and apparently through through our imaginations uh that's his favorite movie that he watches with higgs his best and friend Jeff Fisher. as they eat tostito they eat tostito scoops higgs owes his boy jared about two weeks worth of lunches for that touchdown drop because that was uh, probably my that was probably my favorite throw of the game it was a good between one. that is a really good one there was uh, the one of the, the woods in the boundary where he had all the toe drag was sweet Very as well, nice. and and the one the cup where he he you know releases yep. well before it cups out of his break, yep. but that that ball he threw to Higgs in the corner there was a dime and it had some heat on it. So I, I get why maybe he dropped up. He's paid to catch that ball because it hit him right in the hands. Uh, he played well. Yeah, and that was I mean they still scored on that on that drive, but that ball that thing was. I think it was humming, and it was just a sweet throw. So there was some, yeah. He was he was balling. There was a really nice throw. How about Jared Goff just getting the tight ends involved? I mean, finally, I it was the one week I didn't put it as a bold prediction, and holy crap, young Gerald, young Gerald is alive and well. Yeah, I, I will okay. say I will say this uh, with with Mister Mister Goff and what the offense did. Um, my wife was out of the house. I had the house to myself except for the dog. And Ooh, this sounds like a can... Halloween movie. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> I was uh, the careless whispers kicked up to crescendo. Oh, it's not a Halloween movie; it's a Valentine's Day movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's a love story <laughs> because my boy catches a ball, takes it what thirty, what, forty-one yards for the touchdown, eighty-nine yards in his return. Great play design. Five receptions. Great play design. It was beautiful and ran around my house screaming like an idiot uh, because that was that was the play that got them back to even, right? That and then the two-point conversion. That was the first time I've ever seen Cooper kind of take his foot off the gas. He caught the ball and he was running, and then he kind of slowed down, and he, you could tell he was like, "Oh shit, I don't, 
There's nobody here. I'm gonna score. I'm to, I, don't, I don't have to run that hard. This is this is great. I'm gonna score for Grandpa, who was at the game today. That's a great. And game I'm gonna too. put this thing. Oh, it was yeah. it was good. good it was nice to see him back. Yeah. Great, great moment for Cooper Cup. Great game for the tight ends and Jared Goff. Really good game for the offensive line. Like you mentioned, Joey, Goff didn't face a ton of pressure. We talked about the collapse of the pocket. It was kind of those controlled collapses where you you manage the pressure the way it's supposed to, to, to leave Jared Goff some lanes, and he took a couple, maybe three, and I know at least two times where he kind of escaped and uh, and I felt like the offensive line did a, had a really good game. We didn't run the ball a ton. We only had 13 carries for Todd Gurley, but they were creating some holes for him. Um, I was I was a little bit hard on my report cards. If you read it on for Showtimes, I was a little bit more hard on the offensive line. I gave them a B minus, and I I think why I did that was I felt like Todd Gurley wasn't getting enough enough holes at the beginning for them to still confidence to keep the running game going. And I think I think there was a couple runs for losses, and um, it just felt like the running game just never really was working and i felt like just they couldn't they couldn't make it happen and that they kind of didn't stop paying attention to the run game and just they played from behind too so they clearly keyed on Gurley in all facets of that thing so i mean they they they're the first team i've seen that shut down their their jet sweep motion their their motion game because they were they were pretty much all over that no matter who was running it they were on they were on golf uh, on Gurley, on the screen game i mean they they were they have done the best job so far of slowing his his train down, and he still had close to 100 yards. Right, he had uh, 11, 68. What he had, so he had almost 80 yards today in a touchdown. So, um, but you know what? You take him out because he gets he gets pebbles in his eye, and who comes in and scores maybe the best touchdown of the day? Tiptoeing in my Jordans, Malcolm Brown. Malcolm Brown, not only a great pass pro guy. But showing he's got a little a little twinkle toe agility, keep his foot in brown and inbounds and sneak in the pylon. Uh, that was a hell of a TD by Malcolm, uh, and that is why none of you should ever ask the question: Why isn't Justin Davis? Where's playing? John Kelly? Because he's not he's not <laughs> as good. Well, Malcolm Brown touched the ball how many times? How many times do you think Malcolm Brown touched the ball during the game? Are we talking like when he was like handing balls to Goff on the sideline for warming up? Because I think he had one touch today. He had one reception and no carries. <laughs> one reception, one target, 18 yards, beautiful touchdown. It was it was great. Yeah. Malcolm was the man. Yeah, it's just one of those things overall. I mean, I get it. We lost the game. and Obviously, the defense is going to put some blight on the total performance. But the Rams had 483 total yards to the Saints, 47 uh, three of eight for third down. So obviously not the most efficient, but we only had eight third downs and scored 35 points. So it's one of those things where there's a ton of positives to take. What what I thought was strange was I felt way more positive about this game than a lot of Rams Twitter, a lot of people in the comments. And what was funny was what I realized maybe, I don't know when it was, maybe mid third quarter, maybe fourth quarter. And I tweeted about it. At that point, I didn't really care if the Rams won. It was fine. We paid, it was It was a great game against a great team. And we played great enough where I felt fine regardless of the outcome. The same way when we lost to Minnesota last year or when we lost to Philadelphia, that, look, you play great teams. If you're a great team, sometimes it's not your day. It was clearly not our defense's day. And that happens. And maybe if it's in L.A., we get a different result. But overall, I just don't feel that bad about it. Neither is Michael Brockers, right? Exactly. I think an interesting thing, too, is that there's sometimes in a loss where a team scores 35 points and 10 of those points was in garbage time. 
all of the points that the Rams scored today was when the game was as competitive as it would ever get. And so just to do that, to be able to go, like, hey, you know what? We threw up 35 points. They threw, they threw down 45. But it wasn't like we couldn't move the ball. We couldn't score. It wasn't that. It's just, well, we couldn't stop the ball. Yeah, and no fluke plays. They didn't, like, muff a punt that we returned. We didn't block a punt for a touchdown. There was no, like, weird plays that you would ascribe to the kind of anomaly that's to say, well, okay, you, to think about, like, the Buffalo-Minnesota game back in week three, which is probably the most extreme anomaly of the season in the NFL. But you look at that and say, okay, this doesn't make any sense. That's not That's not a normal football game, the way these two teams would play. This was two really good teams playing each other to the hilt, and I don't feel that bad about it because the next time it comes around, it could be us pounding them in the first half and them having no response for us. Yeah. I mean, if if you were to tell me that they were going to go down by 21 on the road against the Saints in the Dome, and with six minutes to go in the game, they were going to have the ball in their hands with a chance to win, I would tell you you're full of crap. Uh, You know, I... Again, you could not like the end results, but you got to respect the fact that this team uh, doesn't die, doesn't quit, they don't roll over. They have some tenacity, they they have some resilience. I think that comes from their leadership. And uh, if this was a Jeff Fisher coach team, how many sure. scores would they have yeah. lost by? Yeah, they would have lost by fifty. This team came back. They fight. They, I mean, there are things. There are some silver linings in a loss, and this is definitely this. There are plenty of them here today. Uh, again, the perfect season's over. I, I don't care about that. It's they, they're relatively healthy. They're getting their best corner back here in a couple of weeks. Goff outperformed yardage wise. Uh, Sean Payton by Sean Payton, <laughs> Drew, Drew Brees went toe to toe with Drew Brees. We're talking about Drew Brees. Yeah, I mean, Drew Brees, the, the Hall of Famer. The guy just he's the leading. A yardage passer in the history of the, of the game right now. So there's plenty to be excited about with this with this squad. And, and yeah, they go home and they get some home cooking and they got the Seahawks, so divisional game. Who, by the way, they lost today to the L.A. Chargers. Thank you, uh, thank you, uh, Dean Spanos, for doing us a solid, doing your L.A. home is a solid because we'll have a three game lead going into that game in the NFC West. Um, you know, if they they had, they had one and we had lost, and it's two, and then they have a chance to cut it to one. Nope, it's three, and no matter what happens next week, it's still going to be a comfortable lead. So there's plenty to be happy about and looking forward to. And turn your frowns upside down, Rams fans. Yeah. I mean, we don't get a victory Monday, but we we do get to you know still have a a first place team and a, a really good product to watch and plenty of football to go. Yeah, you, you know what else you get. You get an eight and one Monday, and that's pretty damn good since we haven't done that since the sixties. The the other thing I think that's interesting, kind of about this idea, not necessarily negativity, but that maybe the idea that we still haven't really bought into the idea that this is sincerely who the Rams are, and we're actually this good. And, and it started last week when we got into it late against the Green Bay Packers, right, with, with another tough game against a tough opponent. And there were people who just really weren't comfortable about the fact that the Rams were dealing with a game like that. The idea that the fourth quarter was going to decide it. And I I don't remember what I said specifically, but it was something along the lines of, you can tell Packers fans are used to this because how many fourth quarter games have they been in that they've won and that even if they've lost, haven't necessarily decided their season. They've, They've been in these kind of things before. In, in a way that we haven't. And, and, and I think part of that one, one quote I saw today from Lindsay Theory, ESPN's uh, Rams blogger, that 
at, at halftime said Saints go up three touchdowns. It's going to take a miracle for the Rams to overcome this. No, it's not. It's just the the Rams are plenty good enough to do it. I mean, they need to play better, sure. But the idea the idea that the Rams need a miracle to do anything outside of you know if they're down three touchdowns with five minutes to to go, okay, got it. But but we're talking about halftime. If the Saints can beat the Rams thirty five to ten and a half, I'm not unconvinced that the Rams can't beat the Saints thirty five to ten and a half. I think this is the nature of good teams playing each other. And I think whether it's the Rams media or Rams fans, I don't know that we've really gotten to a point where we kind of understand that the the way that fans of other good teams do. Yep. I think it's also just lo- like learning watching this team play uh, with a, just a larger sample sure, size. Sure. And they're, they're a lot different than they were last season. And I feel like now they're going to change and they're going to, you know, add some pieces and lose some pieces next season, season after that. But the core of who they are, we're kind of in season two of it, right? right? And so I think fans are also, you know, just getting used to the fact that we have a competitive team. They're in LA. They got white horns on their helmets and this is who they are. And I feel like, having that identity of, of the fans and knowing kind of what to expect from just a, a contender every year, it's not going to be, you know, roses and candy every day, every week. And it's not supposed to be new. No, I, it's not college I football where home. like Alabama right. has to win by 50 every week. It's just, you know, it's not, that's not how it works. I, I did not get the, the mentality of, well, this thing's done. I mean, it's, I, I mean, saw it in our own Slack at- channel. Somebody said this game's over. Look at look what yeah. the series they had right before the half. half right, you get uh, the Saints get that touchdown from Benjamin Watson. They go up twenty at fourteen, kick the ball off. Uh, you're like, all right, we got two minutes. Let's go down and make this, you know, a one score game if we can, or you know, get close and we get the ball to start the second second half. If we just get a touchdown here, we're we're fine. Goff immediately throws uh, an interception, which we already mentioned was athletic as hell, and you know, t- you know, they come in and, and smash it in. They kick the ball off to you with 26 seconds left. Most teams are going to take the knee and get the hell out of there and just like, let's go. You regroup. know, Jeff Fisher would have taken any. There was no chance we would have take the it. knee. Let's go in and let's regroup and we'll have to, you know, we'll, we'll fix it in the second half. No, Sean McClay is like, you know, screw you. We're going to go. We're, we got time. Let's go. We're, we're not, we're not top lever here. We could do this. They get the field goal, 56 yarder, but you know, they drove down, got it within 26 seconds. And then they come out and open up with a touchdown, and you're back at 24-35, and you're a game here. Instead of 17-35, it's 24, and, and you're on. Let's go. It's it's just – I think we we as a, a fan base need to start expecting this yeah. from this team and this coaching staff rather than ex- looking back into the yeah. past and just like, oh, what was me? This is where it's at. Even with a loss, expect that your team is going to compete and fight and claw, and they're never out of this thing. That is – this team can strike – like a cobra, and you never know when it's. And it's kind you. of being comfortable with the possibility of it. That was the thing about the Packers game that I thought was strange was everybody was just kind of uncomfortable with the idea that oh, this game's going to be won in the fourth quarter. That's not a bad thing. There's nothing. There's nothing wrong when you get to the playoffs and when you get down to week 14, 15, 16, A lot of those games, if not most of them, are going to be won in the fourth quarter. And the Rams are good enough where we should feel pretty damn good about that. Yeah, they. They cause a turnover. They go for it on fourth down. They don't get it, even though we all think they probably did get it. They don't get it. They come back and uh, you know throw the interception there. They 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 left. They missed a field goal. They left points all over the place on the board, and this was still 
a one possession game with six minutes to go there's for your you know, for the taking and you had outplayed that team in the second half up until that you know they got that field goal they broke a streak of 21 unanswered points by the ram you know at, at some point you just have to start expecting better and they're giving it to you even in a loss they're giving it to you uh joey I don't know if you know this. Probably not. I, I probably don't. The Philadelphia the the Philadelphia Eagles won the Super Bowl last year. Oh yeah, yeah. I they that. didn't go sixty nine. They didn't. They didn't. Go, they didn't go sixty to no. No. Um. There been there have been many teams that have won the Super Bowl, and many of them did not go sixteen to no. Um. How much do you think anybody will care about this game if we win the Super Bowl? Nobody. There will be some who still care. <laughs> there will be people who uh, still care. Yeah. That's but... so true. They cough that one up. It's in so Orleans. sadly true. Uh, I'll, I'll have to enjoy this next year. <laughs> there uh, will be, there will be people. But do we have to care about those people? No. Hells to the no. Joey, you nailed it. Hells to the no. You nailed it, jerk. Their evaluation at the end of the season is going to come based on what they do in the postseason. They're eight and one. They're in the driver's seat towards a first round by. Life is good. You know who life's not good for? Andrew Whitworth. His alma mater, LSU, got pasted mm. by Alabama. Mm. Wasn't even His a game. Rams lost in New Orleans. Old A.W. It took was, it on the chin. It was not a good weekend for old A.W. down in his home state of Louisiana. Got to feel bad for him. I think with a situation like old A.W.'s having, his wife might have to make him a casserole. <laughs> yeah, what, are, what are the chances that, that that losing like ups his hunger? Like he's yes. a big guy, he's probably a hungry guy. But you think after he loses, like when his emotions check in, oh, 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 I just need a meat pie. That's the only thing that kill me. So throws on throws on Little Mermaid. I want to see him tweeting out pictures tomorrow of uh, his you know massage day from the home. They have the little table up. You see his feet. I just want to see the casserole pan on his belly and a masseuse working his his calves. Now what's that? Ted Rath, <laughs> strength coach. You need me to do, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to sit right here in this bath. I'm going to eat me a ham and ham sandwich. No, that's ham sandwich when you use the ham as the condiment. You use a ham mayo. <laughs> you ain't never heard no ham mayo. I'll show you how to make a ham mayo. You can put it on a ham, ham, and ham sandwich. It's delicious. <laughs> ham and ham. I love the ham mayo. It's highly underrated, the, the, uh, the meat mayo. You can't just have mayo without no meat in it. That's bad. that's bad. that's a vegetarian sandwich. You think I'm having over here? Put some mayo made out of veggies. Ain't got no ham. Ain't got no tasso. I have a tasso. You gotta have that triple ham po' boy. You gotta have me a mm-hmm. triple ham po' boy. And you know what I'm having to drink? Bacon water. That's that's a drink right there. That's a good drink. Fill your bottle up. Just bacon water and and alligator tears. Go ahead and put some bacon in this bath while we at it. Get it under the skin. It's good for the skin. Out here all emotional. My tear ducts all dry. Got to rehydrate. Oh, it's been a bad weekend for Louisiana. What happens to old AW's alma mater when they lose and Clemson puts it on Louisville? So did either of you guys actually watch the LSU Alabama? I watched every play. I with turned my, it off. My family all from Louisiana. It was a big Louisiana-themed, LSU-themed gathering there were about 50 of us and they were not happy yeah that's a bummer it's a big bummer i i watched the first half unlike unlike sean mcveigh i did not have confidence in lsu coming back after the after the half and so no. i did not come back no, no it, was, did I. it was ugly and i'm like no i'm gonna go watch wsu uh and cal 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I think after a while, it just was like, well, I'm not watching this. Like, you're gonna find something competitive. It just, it kind of felt like there wasn't really um, any any drama to it. No. Do the Washington State Cougs have a chance of sneaking up there if Oklahoma slips up? They need everything to go their way. They need everything. They, they probably need another loss from Ohio State. They need another loss from West Virginia. And then, yeah, they need losses. Oklahoma, Georgia, Michigan, Notre Dame. They, they've got a chance if they win out because they'll have a one-loss team with a conference, a Power 5 conference championship. But they're probably at the back of everybody else that would have the same resume. I mean, because their their road is open before them. You got Colorado, you got Arizona, you got they Washington. Washington's sure. a pretty good team, and if they win the Apple Cup, and you never you could throw the you know do the whole throw the records out at that point, and then you got the Pac-12 championship against a South team that's not going to be very good. Yeah, they so, could, they could definitely be a one loss Power Five champion. The problem is you got Alabama and Clemson who are pretty much locks. Which means you've got, and Notre Dame would probably, even with a loss, might get in before Washington State. Michigan so knocks might, off Ohio State, they're out. But if Michigan knocks off Ohio State, then Michigan's a one-loss team. It goes into the Big Ten Championship. So I, I, it, they, need, they need a lot. It, it's not impossible. It's not impossible. And we've seen it before, but they need a lot of help in front of them, and that would be the big difference. Because out of the Power Five, you've got Alabama, Clemson, and then you've got Big Ten, Big 12 with Notre Dame. Mm, that's true. Uh. I, what, what do you think about what do you think about Shea Patterson? Do you think he is a little bit um, underperforming his hype going into the season? Yes, but that's the problem when you go to Michigan as a transfer, right? Is the hype is going to be so damn big? I'll tell you, I'll tell you like this: I wouldn't be opposed to Shea Patterson coming in as a as a potential backup for Jared Goff, some somebody to groom as a Sean Mannion two I think about this a lot of the you know we talk about Sean Mannion, the fact that he's on this expiring deal. You can't get a good quarterback, right? You can't get a good you you can't get somebody that would threaten Jared Goff's status at any point. Like uh, kind of Herbert. what happened with Kirk Cousins. You can't get anywhere close to a Justin Herbert. You can't get a first or second round guy, which means what do you have to get? You either have to get a rookie that's got serious flaws, or you've got to go get a Josh McCown. You've got to get a, get a legitimate old school veteran. You can't get anything in between because if you go get, you know. Teddy Bridgewater, that's a guy who wants to start. That's a guy who has aspirations for getting playing time. You can't go anywhere in between. So Shea Patterson, somebody I could see as a as a fourth-round, fifth-round pick that would make a lot of sense for the Rams. Uh, I'm looking up what Ryan Fitzmagic's uh, contract status I'd is. I'd be okay. I'd be okay with Fitzpatrick. I mean, the I, I don't know that he fit, but it'd be interesting. I wouldn't be against it. I, that's only, I mean, it. that's the only kind of veteran guy I could think of. You know, someone who's yeah. actually done a little bit. Because... The only time this guy's going to play is if Goff is out for an extended period of time, if he's hurt. And then, you know, you need a guy who can actually play to keep this thing going a little bit until he comes back. You know, if it's if he suffers the Aqib Tlaib injury, right, and he's out for six or anyway. seven weeks, yeah. you're kind of screwed. So if you play a, a yeah. rookie or, or a shitty backup or whatever, it's like, all right, you know, it's all Todd Gurley. I mean, you know. But if you get someone like a Ryan Fitzpatrick who can still, that's kind of what his specialty is, is coming in and doing something for, you know, four to five games keep that thing afloat and then you go on but there's very few of those guys left what about sam bradford hell Ooh, no. how much is he going to cost i was going to no. say the problem with sam bradford is he's still at cost level he's he's looking for work right now isn't he will he get some that'll be interesting i wonder no, if not. i wonder if anybody signs him as a backup like a like a fringe playoff team like a titans or uh maybe not Steelers. Yeah, somebody like that. Right? See Big Ben go down today for a, a sure a did. Yeah, Ooh, looked bad Ooh. for a second. They got lucky that it was only out of get air because I thought ben. for a second he was hurt. Get 
down. But it was a good, it was a good weekend for college football because you had the the West Virginia game was huge. I don't know if you guys saw that West Virginia won it at the end, a touchdown in the waning seconds, and then a two point conversion to win the game against Texas in Texas. Uh, they're now seven and one with Will Greer. He's one of those guys that's on the fence. I think he's probably too good for the Rams, but maybe not a great starting quarterback prospect as a rookie. Maybe a second round draft pick. The thing that makes him funky for the for the Rams, and maybe you know who might be perfect for him is the Chargers because he's in LA. And I, I know Robbo, you would hate this. Joey, you might appreciate this. Will Greer isn't even the most famous guy in his family. His two younger brothers are. Instagram stars or Instagram <laughs> influencers. Awesome. I don't know what, I don't even know how to describe it. They're oh huge. God, so, no. yeah, right. One of his younger brothers was on Dancing with the Stars um, just because he's an Instagram kid. I don't even know how to describe the kids these days. He was an Instagram kid and he's so popular that he's more famous than his brother, who's a legitimate Heisman Trophy candidate right now. Uh, so, I could totally see the family relocating to Los Angeles. You know, riding the coattails of Philip Rivers and grooming him to be the follow-on. And if you've seen West Virginia, that's a, that's not a bad thing that I don't think many Chargers fans would have a problem with. Chargers fans, um, yeah, all all nine of them would love that. What do you guys think about the way the Rams are shaping up roster-wise? Going going into this a week ago, everybody was talking about the edge. You trade for Dante Fowler. That seemingly gets cleared up a little bit, and with all the guys coming back off of IR, Morgan Fox and. Uh, Obanaya Okoronkwo, if he ever comes off the pup, I think the 21-day window ends on Tuesday, so hopefully we'll get some news on whether or not he's actually going to be added to the roster or if we're going to stash him on the IR the rest of the year. Uh, Dominique Easley, any of these other guys? How big of a contract are you going to go out and give uh, Bruce Irvin tomorrow? Yeah, right. We'll sign, we'll sign Bruce Irvin after getting released, and you got Dante Fowler on an expiring deal, so at least with the edge, now you have some options. You got Marcus Peters not playing his best play at cornerback. Aqib Tlaib is not a young man who's on this major injury, and they both have expiring deals next year, so cornerback's an issue. Outside, uh, outside line, offensive line, we've only got seven offensive linemen. I was a little bit surprised when we waved Jamon Brown yes. over Nick Williams with Cooper yes, Cup sir. coming back, if only because we've got two backup offensive line, just by quantity alone. We've only got two backup offensive linemen. Where do you guys see the needs for this team as we start heading towards the end of the year and ramping up draft talk, Robbo? Oh, you're going to make me think about it, and it's actually a valid question, and I hate sure myself is. for having to answer it. Um, I think you nailed those spots. Offensive line because of the age, although they did, they did address it last year with two guys, right? But cornerback sure. is right now still standing out to me because – as you mentioned, Akib Talib is, is an older dude, and we've seen some Marcus Peters issues. Uh, they they definitely need a, a corner, if not two. Uh, I, I would give my right uh, finger man part for a um, actual inside linebacker who who can you know stop the run. I'm tired of watching Mark Barron come in shoulder high and miss tackles. I mean he he's a he's a all or nothing kind of guy. Right now, and uh, so there, there are needs. There, there. Adama Sue is going away. Um, there, there are needs on this team, and they, they, they should keep those draft picks moving forward. Joey, here's a name that I know is starting to pick up traction that I already thought was gone before the season. The fact that they franchised him, which obviously gives away who I'm talking about, and didn't get, didn't get him inked to a long term contract. But his play this year, and even his play today, has a lot of people questioning about whether the Rams should even try to re-sign him. What do you think about LaMarcus Joyner in the safety position? 
I think he played himself out of a contract, a big contract. I mean, I think mm. this is pretty, pretty much as far as financially for LaMarcus Joyner, it feels like it's a nightmare. I think the guy has really sort of um, taken his value and just dropped it down like one major tier. When you look at safeties, and people are looking at free agents next offseason. I don't think he's going to be where he was last season. I think he's really taken a step down. And it, it sucks for everybody. It sucks for the Rams and it sucks for LaMarcus Turner mm-hmm. because I think they would have paid him. I think he yeah. would have taken the money. I think another team would have paid him. But he's not going to get as much money as he would have gotten last year. And that's, I think, why players don't like this franchise tag is because situations like this, you know? He is the second highest paid player on the team for the 2018 cap figure. $11.287 million right now. How much less will he be, have to sign for after what he's done so far? Right, so you've got Earl Thomas is only making ten million. Eric Berry's at thirteen. Um, I know Harrison Smith is at just over ten. So it's not an expensive position. I think the problem is, like Joey's alluding to, he might have, unlike Trumaine Johnson, who got tagged and played mm-hmm. some of his best football on the tag. Lamarcus Jr. just hasn't had the best year, and that sucks for him. But that's the way this goes. And maybe looking at, I mean, you, you don't feel bad for a guy making single digit million dollars per year, but. I don't know that he's going to get more than 10 the way things are going right now. Yeah. Someone will pay Maybe. that figure because there's always one. It only takes one. It only takes one who go, you know, he's played some good football. Maybe he just was a little concerned about the contract. And so we can get him back and he can be what we, what he was. And it only yeah. takes one, but I don't know who that one would be and why you would do it because it's just he's a lot of uninspired football right now. You know, just not pretty. Yeah. As we mentioned in the, in the last episode, uh, you need you need guys on rookie deals to play meaningful minutes so that you can pay your veterans higher cap figures. That's how you manage this thing. You can't pay everyone, so you need younger, good draft picks that you develop and keep going. Uh, who you know take a couple of years to get to that point. So if you're not trading those picks away, and you're not even signing guys like they did this year with Brandon Cooks. You want that first rounder to come in and contribute in some form. Um, that's a good thing moving forward. So we, we will have we will have plenty of time to talk about what we're going to do with uh, picks after our Super Bowl run. I'm Karis Fisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Carreyou, who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there.